Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, agency owners. As someone that's run Google Ads for my own business, as well as on behalf of my clients, I know how time-consuming it can be to constantly be monitoring and optimizing those ads. I've got good news for you. There's a new tool called Optio that monitors your accounts for statistically significant patterns and suggests improvements that can push live to Google Ads in just a few seconds. Improvements help you manage keywords, test ads, and optimize bids. Get your time back. Let the machines do the heavy lifting. Check out optio.com slash yougurus and get started with a six-week extended free trial. That's optio.com slash yougurus. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today we are hanging out with Justin Genak. Justin is a co-founder of Working Not Working, a curated global platform connecting the world's best creative talent with the most innovative companies. Companies like Apple, Google, Droga5, Wyden and Kennedy, Airbnb, and thousands of other companies are using Working Not Working to staff their creative teams with freelance and full-time talent. Prior to Working Not Working, Justin was an award-winning art director and creative director at ad agencies around the U.S., perhaps best known for helping create the original ElfYourself.com and unexpectedly unleashing the world's elf fetish with over 1.5 billion elves created since its inception. Justin, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me, Brent. So I'm curious, Justin, we'll get into talking a little bit about what you're doing with working and not working, but it sounds like you've been kind of in this space for a while, kind of the agency world. Uh, what what kind of attracted to you you to kind of this digital workforce and uh, where did you get your start? So I started my career back in 2002 at Ogilvy in New York City, and I was in their Young Guns program, which was their way of getting kind of young talent to want to work at a big kind of traditionally stodgy agency. And I worked there for about a year and a half. I did my first commercial was with IBM and Muhammad Ali for like a one and a half million dollar budget, which I never even came close to having a budget like that again. And then I went to a couple smaller agencies, one Fallon, New York. Uh, and then I went to uh, a small agency called Toy. And that's where uh, we created elfyourself.com uh, for Office Max. So you uh, you had some really realistic expectations set with your very first project. I'm sure you're like, oh, this is crazy. It's just all uphill from here, right? You're <laughs> yeah, like big budgets, big celebrities, and, uh, and 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 nice hotels. And then uh, after that, it was uh, a bit of a reality uh, <laughs> check coming back down to earth. But uh, you know, it actually uh, it was nice to get that that you know Super Bowl spot done. And then after that, get to have a little bit more fun uh, on some smaller clients. What what do you think is, is what do you think drew you to something like that? Obviously, you were in at a very famous agency, Ogilvy, mm-hmm. uh, in their Young Guns program, kind of getting thrown right into the mix. What about this industry kind of attracted you at first? So I had known I wanted to be in advertising since I was eleven years old. Uh, I was sitting in the parking lot one day at a outside a grocery store with my stepdad, uh, waiting in the car for my mom to come out and. I was talking about like, you know, what I wanted to do and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and my stepdad was very blue collar, you know, worked construction and, and was a garbage man at one point and, and laid concrete and all these like really tough manual labor jobs. And he mentioned to me, uh, he's like, you know, you really like those commercials. And I was like, Oh yeah, I do. And I, I used to record the Clio awards, 
which is an advertising award show. I used to record those when those were on TV back in the, you know, the nineties on VHS and I'd rewatch them because I loved the commercials. And I, at the time I, I didn't realize somebody actually made those. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you, know, you could, you could make commercials. And I was like, oh yeah, that would be awesome. And so from that point on, I knew I wanted to be in advertising. So I went to school of visual arts, uh, where they had a really you know, well-respected advertising program. And then, you know, it kind of just followed the path from there. Cause I mean, most people fast forward the commercials, but you were oh, literally, yeah. <laughs> your, your TiVo is set up in like the opposite. You're, you're like, ah, gotta watch another episode of scrubs <laughs> to get to my commercials. Right. Like <laughs> sweet, sweet commercials. Yeah. And it was like, for me, it's like, especially as a kid, like all of the you know, Nerf commercials and Kool-Aid and, and all of the, it was just all so fun to me. And, and I really enjoyed it. And I was a, you know, I was an art kid growing up. So, you know, the create, the creative aspect of it really, really connected with me. What are some, you've worked with some, you know, you worked at, at a big name and you've, you've been kind of a part of the, the agency life for a long time. I mean, what would you say to somebody that is, um, you know, that's, that's maybe just starting an agency, uh, kind of what they should be thinking about in, in their business? Like, what do you think is kind of essential to the agency business of why agencies get hired by companies and, and why their work matters? I think one of the biggest things, and, you know, and we'll talk about working, not working more, uh, later, but one of the biggest things I've learned in the past seven plus years of doing that is that a lot of agencies don't do a very great job of articulating their mission and the thing, their values and the things that differentiate them. Um, you can go and put the mission statements of like the top 50 ad agencies on a wall and it would be really difficult to tell them apart. And so I think the places that do a great job of really identifying who they are and not just with buzzwords, you know, like you go and look and there's just a lot of, there's a lot of buzzwords about thinking differently. And, and I think the places that really are able to articulate that and, and live it and be, really be a place for creative problem solving are the ones that are, are, are standing out and are able to succeed. And especially when you have so many clients now, is it 73% of brands are bringing, you know, building in-house creative departments? There's a lot of competition. And so I think you really need to remember that, you know, as, as a creative agency, your creativity is your, your secret weapon and you have to live that every day and you have to be a place where people feel like they can do their best creative work. Mm, that's an interesting stat that 73% of brands, I mean, is that major brands or just companies in general? I, I imagine most small businesses on the, on the, on the, on the other hand, aren't bringing, building their own teams. I mean, maybe right. some of them are, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's of like fortune 500 or fortune that 1000. Um, I have to double check the stat on that or where they pulled that, but you know, you see it more and more. It used to be a stigma to go work in house at a brand mm. because you'd be the one making the coupons and uh, direct mail pieces. <laughs> And now you have Red Bull, like putting a guy in space, you know, to skydive from space. And so the, the opportunities are just a lot different than they used to be even 10 years ago. Because it, I think there's just such a, a higher prioritization of design and creativity, thanks to the apples of the world, yeah. that the thing that we do is more in demand than ever. And so it's great because there is a lot of opportunity out there, but it's really, you know, you have to, you have to work hard to stand apart and really prove your value. Well, I think for any agency or big, big or small, I think that stat is powerful just to say that other agencies 
might not be your competitors, but uh, really it's more about whether, you know, you can do a better job than an in-house team can, whether you can bring bring in better creativity or better ideas or proven things from the marketplace, from other, you know, being able to work with other clients and have that perspective of uh, of, of creativity and ingenuity, but that your your biggest competitor might not be the agency across the hall or down the street, that it's it's actually, you know, these these types of companies choosing to not hire any of the agencies and just hire people instead. So how do you create that? I mean, I guess what, what are you seeing in terms of like what, what helps a company or an agency create that competitive edge? Uh, you mentioned mission and differentiate, you know, can, do we just talk about how creative we are and all that kind of stuff or what else can an agency do to kind of differentiate themselves? I think you've got to make, you've got to make things. Uh, I think a lot of places talk about making things. And, and that was one of the big reasons why I eventually left advertising. Because I used to come up with ideas, present ideas, focus group ideas, and kill ideas, and didn't spend enough time actually making them. Um, and so I think the places that put ideas into the world, even if they're just ideas for themselves, end up doing the work that they want to do and then attracting the type of work that they want to continue making. Um, so self-initiated projects and, and, and investing in your people. You know, I, I think that a lot of places could go and say they're creative agencies, but they, they don't actually do enough of that. And, and so to go in, you know, every a- advertising creative I know has a startup idea, an app idea, a product idea, a screenplay idea. And so I really think like the future of everything that we're doing is IP. And so if you could go and invest in your people and allow them to be creative and to pursue their, their, their projects and maybe, you know, have them pitch projects and which ones you guys want to invest in as a company. And just start making stuff that gets you excited that to put out into the world. And then that'll get more people coming your way, hiring you to do that exact thing or something very similar. So let's talk about so you. Just getting back to the making culture, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's super... I, I love that, um, you know, that advice. You know, maybe, uh, obviously, you know, doing side projects has to be taken with a certain level of responsibility, right? Of course, uh, maybe yeah. it's, maybe it comes like a, a drinking warning label, right? Like, like side, <laughs> side project responsibly, uh, you know, don't yeah. let it, don't let it, uh, I've seen, I've seen several agencies where side projects tank the agency because yeah. they forget who's important, which is the clients and paying the bills. But I think from a marketing perspective or keeping your, keeping your edge sharp, I, I think it's fun to be able to experiment on your own business as an agency, uh, especially right. if you have some creative out of the box ideas that probably, you know, a client might think is too risky. You can kind of look at new technologies or that kind of stuff with, with your own business. And I think that that could be really powerful. And, and you just put parameters on it. It may be, you know, one day a month you work on it or, you know, a couple hours or you do a hackathon over a weekend or whatever it is. But like, there's been plenty of agencies that have like mother New York was a great example of that, where they had an idea for a hot dog cart and a gourmet hot dog cart and they ended up doing it and setting up shop in the West village. And it did so well that they ended up selling it and, uh, and opening a chain of stores uh, called dogmatic. Um, and I think there there's opportunities like that to just make things. And, you know, sometimes they, they stick and sometimes not. It is being responsible with how much time and resources you, you dedicate towards it, but then, you know, do the stuff you want to, you know, create the stuff you want to see in the world. You mentioned you, you know, there were some reasons that you left advertising and, and now you've created this uh, working, not working uh, platform, which I definitely want to talk about. So, so what were some of the reasons that you left and, and decided to create something new? Well, I, I left right on the heels of, well, I left full time right on the heels of doing the Office Max campaign where we basically, Office Max came to us with a you know, small budget that was barely enough to make a one TV spot. 
And so we didn't think that And the brief was to get people to want to do holiday shopping at an office supply store, uh, which is kind of dumb. Uh, <laughs> why would anybody want to do that? And so how are we going to reframe people's thinking? We like one commercial probably wasn't going to do it. So we took that budget and we decided to create 20 holiday themed websites. And all of them were linked together by a little Office Max tab at the bottom. You click that and it showed you all the 20 websites. And there was, um, you know, like uh, Mistletoe and Elevator where we had, it seemed like strangers getting in at different floors and there was Mistletoe hanging in there and they started making out. Uh, we had uh, RoastAturkey.com, which was like roasting a turkey in real time. Uh, and as you cooked, and if you overcooked it, it started smoking white, uh, billowing white smoke and then black smoke. And you took it at the right time. You got a score. This and then, is like a game. Yeah, it was a game. It was all just like kind of fun office games. Like there was like one called yes, I'm working. And it was basically like a, a, a block destroying game, like, you know, kind of old eighties video game style, but it looked like an Excel spreadsheet. Um, so it's like, it was stuff like that. We just like <laughs> all, kind of, it was called the gift from office max so all little gifts for people and we worked with eight different interactive shops to in over the course of two months to make the 20 websites which was insane um and i and we were a small like four person agency at the time and so managing eight different <laughs> interactive agencies digital agencies and getting those all done was pretty insane and then we had this one site elf yourself that you know in all honesty we had no idea it was going to take off and and then it did and it got, I think it was like 36 million visits in the five weeks that it was up. Uh, and then the second year, it was up for six weeks and six weeks, and it got about 193 million visits. Uh, wow. We crashed all of the like uncrashable servers that they claimed to have. And at one point, there were eight elves being created every second. <laughs> it was insane. And so we had no idea. And so it was such a surreal thing to be a part of when like every news station. And every, you know, good morning, America, and everyone's elfing themselves. And, uh, it's, it's such a funny thing, but we put it out there to, you know, it was a, really just a, you know, an, uh, increasing our odds by doing 20 of them and, and seeing what would happen. We had no idea. that. We and, and, and now, I mean, that was the thing that I think, you know, I, I clue into, which is, it's so impossible to predict what is going to go viral and what's not. I mean, people say like, oh, there's yeah. algorithms and you can do this and that to make something go viral or encourage it to. But I think sometimes it's like, you know, coming up with 20 ideas. And I feel like that's probably one of the ways that advertising and marketing has changed so much in the last decade is that it used to be like the ad team has to, you know, they have to get it right uh, yeah. and, and, you know, and launch that quote unquote one commercial, you know, for the brand and hopefully it's successful. Whereas I feel like now you have freedom to maybe experiment and then lean into kind of what's working and, and try to find the winner versus, you know, somebody yeah. saying, oh, th that idea is stupid. Right? I can imagine like, I can imagine sitting in a, in a, in a you know, 1980s advertising agency and, and somebody says, oh, we're going to do this <laughs> Elf Yourself campaign. And people would be like, that is ridiculous. That's dumb. Nobody would do that. Right. But of course, that's yeah. the one that goes, you know, billion plus. Right. Yeah, well, and I think that's a like get, allowing yourself to experiment, but that does take some brave clients to be able to pull that off. Like we had an incredible client that was like, "Sure, let's do it," uh, but not every client's willing to take those risks, which is unfortunate. Um, so you have to find those right partners that are going to say, "Hey, look, we we're going to admit we don't know. We have some hunches. <laughs> we'll put things out, and we'll we'll see. You know, we'll follow follow the things that are starting to work, and then and then double down on that." You know, and it is a bit of an MVP model, an R&D model for advertising and for marketing. But that that's the stuff that's working. And, you know, and just like 
be willing to play and, uh, and see what happens. I'm curious. So they came to you and said, we want to run a commercial, right? I mean, that was, that was that the premise they came to you. They said, Hey team, we want you guys to build a commercial for us and help us to, I think it was more like we, we want to get people to do holiday shop, to go holiday shopping at office max, but it was only a few hundred thousand dollars. It wasn't a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, I think that's, that's a really, I guess what I'm trying to get to is I feel like sometimes clients come to an agency with maybe a set of expectations and you, you and the team clearly saw an opportunity to go a completely different direction than what they uh, maybe had thought was possible. And there's all sorts of things that maybe, you know, how you guys pitch them that idea, how you decide as a team, like, we're not going to build a commercial. We're going to do something that's totally out of the box. I mean, any insight on how that happened in, in that instance where you were able to convince the client to do something radically different than what they probably had as a, as a concept in their mind coming into engaging you? Uh, yeah, I think we, when that idea came up to just do basically a shitload of websites um, <laughs> was uh, it, it excited us. And yeah. we were like, wow, this is, this is something we haven't seen before. This would be pretty bold. And it just got all of us pumped. And I think, you know, we laid out the case where to the client where, yeah, we could make a commercial and it'll go on, you know, every few commercial breaks and, but we don't think it's going to move the needle. And so like the idea of a gift from office max, especially if we're trying to get people to you know think of office max as a place for gifts, just really brought it all together. And they immediately were on board because it, it excited them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think they could, they could sense it and yeah, it was all a bit of a risk, but uh, I think everyone thought, Hey, we hadn't, we haven't seen something like this before. So uh, that's a good sign. And it's making us all a bit nervous, which is an even better sign. And yeah, let's give it a shot. That, that good nervous. And also like when you're, I, yeah. And I think also having an underdog client, like you, 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 when you're, when you're behind and you're, you know, and you're trying to get, get, you know, move the needle, you have to take some risk. Um, and if you have a client that understands that, then they're willing to, you know, want to take those, take those jumps and leaps of faith with you. Hey, what's up podcast listeners. Are you a web agency or freelance web designer that's trying to add recurring revenue profits by offering your clients SEO services? Well, I've got good news for you. There's a new service that is basically the design pickle for white label SEO. Their team hooks you up with unlimited SEO tasks for one monthly fee. You got to check them out at seobrothers.co forward slash you gurus. They're giving our listeners 50% off their first month and an awesome money back guarantee. That's seobrothers.co forward slash you gurus. All right. Let's get back to our interview. So you mentioned you left advertising after this project. Yeah. Was that, was that, uh, well, I le- so I left full time. So like I, I, I had been working there for about a year and a half and that project kicked my ass. It's like, I was working 20 hour days, six to seven days a week for almost two months straight. Mm. And you know, with a small team and, and I was managing, I was working on back to back red eyes and, you know, trying to send feedback to eight different companies about 20 different websites every morning while also going on shoots and production for the websites. So I was just kind of, kind of burnt out and wanted to, and I also have my own personal projects and my art projects that I wanted to put more time into. Um, and so I went freelance and I freelanced for about seven years. Um, and was able to, you know, freelance for a couple months at a time, buy my time off and then go and pursue my, my art, uh, and personal projects on the side. That's cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, so, so working and then like kind of not working, I guess is maybe. Exactly. Yeah. 
So that is that kind of where you came up with the idea for for that um, your current project working not working dot com? Yeah. So I I was a little bit frustrated with the inefficiency of trying to find freelance gigs. You know, my opportunities were only as big as my Rolodex, and I had only had three jobs at that point. And every time I wanted to get a freelance gig, I'd call and email every single person I knew in the industry and say, "Hey, you got any, you need an art director?" And inevitably, nobody ever needed an art director the day I needed a gig. And so I would get like, I'd finally get booked two weeks later. And then without fail, I would get four or five job offers that week that I couldn't take. And, you know, on the, on the reverse side for recruiters, they were calling and emailing every single person that they knew and had in a spreadsheet, seeing if they were available for freelance. And if they couldn't find someone, they'd be running around the creative department asking anyone if their friends are available. And if they got really desperate, they'd call a headhunter. Um, and so I just got tired of waiting for gigs. And so uh, I'm a bit of a smart ass. And so I thought it would be funny if I put a giant blinking neon sign animated GIF on my portfolio site. And so I called it the Justin Genac freelance status apparatus. And <laughs> it, it, Justin, Justin is working, Justin's available or Justin's available soon. And then I had an overutilization of technology to follow my freelance availability. So I had a Facebook group, a Twitter feed, a text alert, an iPhone app, and a mailing list. And you could follow me any one of those ways that you wanted. And every time I became available, I'd ping everyone, let them know I was available. And then I would get two or three job offers within a day. And any jobs I couldn't take, uh, I would just email to my art director friends. And it got to the point where recruiters were saying, Hey, Justin, I see by your little sign that you're working. Are any of your friends available? And I was like, Shit, I'm a rep now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but it worked. And my, my, friend, Adam Tompkins, who started at Ogilvy in the Young Guns program with me. Uh, he was working on his own startup at the time, and he was having a hard time finding freelance developers. And so we were talking and we were like, if that vacancy sign could work for me, it probably could work for everyone. And so we just decided in that moment, like, yeah, we got to do this. And so we wireframed it out. We found a company to design and develop it. And six months later, we launched the platform. And we launched it by just inviting 300 of the best freelancers, you know, art directors, copywriters, designers that we knew. And uh, you know, for, for us, it was important that it was really curated because we were working at all the best agencies and we knew the level of talent that they were looking for and expected. So uh, yeah, we, we grew from those 300 people to, to what it is today. Is it still very, is it, is it curated? Is there, uh, are there kind so of we have, some, some, yeah, first, uh, blocks in place or something? Yeah. So for the first few years, it was like, well, Adam and I vetting everyone and we only let in about 10% of the people that applied. And then we ended up, we were able to start hiring some people. So we had, you know, a couple people doing it. Uh, but we still had like 8,000 people in the queue waiting to be reviewed. And it would take 6 to 12 months to get reviewed, which wow. is terrible. It's like, yeah. it's, that's a horrible user experience. And so we relaunched the platform back in 2017, January 2017. And when we did that, we created a membership board, uh, kind of like a, a, a three to almost 400-person jury of the best people in the industry that were on the platform. And now they're responsible for vetting all of the portfolios that come in and the profiles that come in. And if you, you know, you get approved by the membership board, then you get a vetted member badge on your profile. But now you can, you can still make a profile um, and be on the site and apply for jobs and be discovered for jobs in our search. But you just have to get past the membership board to actually get that, that badge, the vetted badge on your profile. But it's really allowed us to get a lot more people on and, and, and then it, the you know the vetted member level is still highly curated, and about ten to fifteen percent of people who apply on the site get approved for 
as a, as a vetted member. So if you're a hire, you can come on and only search the vetted people, or you can search you know everyone in the in the community. So so would you? I mean, you probably have some interesting insights on uh, on freelancing. I mean, just on yeah. what what works and what doesn't work for people that they are, you know, I mean, our, our show is, is primarily focused on agency owners, but I do know a, a handful of, of independent, you know, kind of they might consider themselves like an agency of one, uh, listen to our show and uh, and kind mm-hmm. of pay attention to it. I mean, what's what are some of the things that as a freelancer you can do to kind of maximize your, um, you know, how how often you're booked and how full you are and all that kind of stuff. I mean, assuming that you you want to be up to a certain level of of full or busy, uh, what are yeah. some of the things that you see people do on your platform that make them more successful? Uh, I, I, th- I think some of the biggest things is well, obviously making your profile and working out working <laughs> uh, is a, is a good thing, and you're able to like update your status just like I did on my vacancy signs to say you're available, available soon, or working. And clients go on, they follow their favorite creatives and get notified exactly you know whenever they're available. Um, so that's a great way. And then, you know, I think a, a lot of people that I've seen be really successful don't limit their options, right? So there's a lot of different ways to find work. We're not the only way. They're collaborating a lot. They're uh, helping out on projects that maybe aren't the most glamorous projects, but are really great collaborators to work with and, and got someone out of a jam. They are willing to take on say yes to a lot of things initially to build those relationships and, and let people know that they're out there. And then they find like kind of like-minded people that have different disciplines that they pull into for projects. So, you know, you may be a, a developer or a designer, but maybe there's a technologist uh, that has their own independent business uh, that you like collaborating with. And so really building up your community, your own community, your own network to let people know that you're out there, you're available to help them out. And then they're, they're there to help you out too. So it's really, you know, it's about building that community around yourself to, you know, and being and one of the biggest things, which, you know, I talk to people a lot about, which shouldn't have to be said, but it's like, don't be an asshole. It's such a <laughs> simple thing. And I, I realized that freelance is like career purgatory. So if you were, you know, all talent being equal, if you're a good person in your previous full-time life, you'll probably find a lot of work because people want to help you out and want to decide to work with you. But if you're a kind of a shitty person to work with, they're probably going to avoid calling you in on projects. And word gets out really quickly if you're difficult to work with. So it really is about just being being a great collaborator, great to work with and and, and not being like a, not being a prima donna. Mm. I, I like that insight of in, in the start, you know, say yes to a lot of things as a way of building those relationships and kind of that, that net of support. Cause I think a lot of people, you know, you hear a lot of advice. I mean, we, we put out a lot of advice of, you know, really be, you know, choose, choose your niche, right. Choose kind of who, who your ideal client is and all this kind of stuff. And I, you know, I do very much advocate for that, especially as somebody gets more and more busy, like finding your specialty. Uh, but yeah. sometimes I talk to people that are like, Oh yeah, I just don't have any work right now. And yeah, these three people called me, but they're not really, they're not really my niche. And I told them no. And I'm like, well, you don't yeah. have any clients right don't now. Right. Like, you know, let's not be like super choosy where we can't like fill the, the, the fridge and put food on the table. Right. But well, I also, like everything's an opportunity. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, and I hear story after story after story, like, that Super Bowl spot I did with Muhammad Ali came from a brief uh, for a business-to-business ad in Linux magazine. So we, our assignment was to do three print ads in a business-to-business Linux operating system magazine. And it ended up turning into a Super Bowl commercial because we just saw the opportunity 
and came up with some more ideas that weren't asked for. Um, and it evolved into that, or I have friends, these guys, dark igloo, um, that I interview on my podcast. Uh, they worked on like this kind of not a great project at MTV, you know, 10 plus years ago, but they, you know, were, had a smile on their face and had a good time and were really great to work with. And the, some of the creatives that they were working for on it kept bringing them back for projects, bringing them back for projects. And one of those people was, uh, Alex Chung who started Giphy. And now they like did all the initial branding at Giphy and have been like an extension of their creative department since day one. And, you know, put, you know, help were a big part of the reason of like how they brought Giphy to life visually and put them on the map. And so that came from just being great to work with on a kind of a thankless job. And so I think that there's so many opportunities out there and you really just have to be the person that's open to them um, and, and be willing to maybe do a little extra legwork instead of waiting for it to fall on your lap. I, I'm, I, I love that. I've got a blog post on my personal blog called The Case for Free Work. And, um, and you know, I look at all of our major products and, and, and programs that we've ever launched and they all started for the most part with, you know, a little bit of, you know, kind of sweat equity, some, some free work that kind of, you know, turned into something. It was an idea or a passion project that kind of like rolled up into something bigger. Uh, and so I think that's really powerful advice. Yeah. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be free. It's like, it's, you know, those were all paid jobs, but it was like seeing what something someone might think is a shitty, shitty brief and just going like, well, what can we make of it? And it's mm. maybe that, the, that brief isn't going to be the one that hits, but that could like start connecting the synapses or the relationships that leads to the big one. Any, any tips for filtering out the, the opportunities that are actually like bad opportunities that they're, they should be said no to? Cause I'm sure that they're out there, right? There's that, uh, that oatmeal graphic of, uh, you know, oh, uh, they're getting paid, but with exposure. Right. And then he tries to take exposure oh, yeah, to the, take exposure to the, the hot dog stand and the guy's like, uh, yeah, we don't take that. <sighs> yeah. We don't get, we, we, yeah, that's not going to feed you. Uh, exposure is the worst. Uh, and you know, I don't generally advocate for free work and, uh, my friend Jessica Hish has a, a great, um, kind of infographic and I think it may still be up, but, sh- uh, should I work for free.com? And basically it's like all of those questions you need to ask yourself of whether or not you should work for free. And I think it's also knowing what to say no to. And at different points in your career, there's just different priorities. And sometimes your priority might just be to get a paycheck. Um, so you can pay the bills or get time off for your personal work or whatever it is. And so then that's okay. But it's really knowing what your priorities are right now in your career. Is it, you know, saying no to things until, you know, something right comes along or so you can focus on uh, your own projects that will hopefully lead to more work doing the type of work you want. Uh, But you really have to know what your intentions are with your career and your freelancing right now, or else you can just go down that path and just keep working constantly and not really know uh, where you're heading. Um, So it it is kind of being taking a step back and being a bit thoughtful about that. It's really good insight. Justin, this has been uh, a lot of fun. We've got some good notes here on freelancing, on uh, on getting that business, on your uh, journey through agency life, transitioning away from agency life, and uh, and doing your project, workingnotworking.com. Uh, are you ready for our lightning round? Uh, sure, let's do it. What is the best advice you've ever received? My dad, uh, when I was a kid, told me, help enough other people get what they want, and you'll always get what you want. And for the longest time, I thought that was his quote, uh, but then I found out it's actually a Zig Ziglar quote, 
So, uh, you know, I appreciate it. I always thought my dad was a genius and I'm like, okay, he just knows how to give good advice from other people. But it, it was one of those things that now has become just such an ethos for me and is part of our, you know, is, is mentioned a lot in the walls of working, not working. And it's, you know, something I try to live by, like really being in service of others and helping, helping others and seeing what you can do for others first always, always comes back around. Um, and, it, and I think it's really easy in a very competitive industry where we, you know, a lot of people are looking out for themselves to not live that way. And I've just found that, you know, the opposite is true and it just comes back tenfold. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? <laughs> I, I, I almost ironically want to say my procrastination. I'm a terrible procrastinator and I've made a lot of things and I made a lot of art and personal projects and all that. And it's been in spite of my procrastination, but I think that pressure that the procrastination creates for me helps me get out there. And I also, I think not really caring what other people think for the most part um, has allowed me to be quite shameless um, and be willing to put things out there and not be afraid if they succeed or fail. Can you share an internet resource or a tool or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable besides your own? Well, I, I think that one of the things I've learned to do is relax a bit and doing periodically, I'm not very religious with it, but periodically doing meditation. So I really uh, love the Headspace app. I think that's a really great one. So I think that could, that could benefit a lot of people just to kind of get out of your own head sometimes. What book would you recommend and why? Well, I just finished Scott Belsky's book. He's one of the co-founders of Behance and he wrote a book called The Messy Middle. and you know, his insight was that we celebrate the, the launches of companies and ideas and products, and we celebrate the exits, you know, when they go public or, you know, uh, sell for a billion dollars. But the majority of your life running a business is the messy middle where you don't know what the hell you're doing. You feel like you're constantly failing. And he just has this amazing playbook of how to navigate that, the hard parts of running a business. Um, which, you know, especially as a creative who started a business was really invaluable and, and just finished it like a month or two ago and it's definitely changed the way I've thought about my business and, and, and how to move forward and how to grow it. Awesome. Well, we're going to link out to that book recommendation. Uh, it's the first time it's been mentioned on our show. So excited about that part. Link out to that book recommendation um, and your uh, headspace and a bunch of the other things that you've mentioned, uh, both in the lightning round and over the duration of this show. You can find all that stuff at yougurus.com forward slash podcast with our show notes. So check that out. If you're listening to this the week it comes out, just go to that, that URL. You'll see Justin's episode right there at the top. Uh, Justin, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Uh, yeah, I've got my own podcast, Overshare, which we're working on getting season three together now. But I interview creatives I admire about the struggles of being a creative professional. It's really easy to go to conferences and see people talk about the highlights and see their perfectly curated Instagram. But I can't really, really relate to that stuff. So I just want to get down and dirty on on how people navigate the tough times. Um, on all the socials at, at Justin Genac and... Uh, find me on working out working. And we also have a creative uh, support group in New York, LA and San Francisco. So if anybody would like to join that, we want one night a month, it's called talking, not talking. Uh, we sit around in a circle and we just talk about our struggles of what we're dealing with in our careers. And it's, uh, it's been really valuable. I think, uh, you know, it's easy to think everyone else has it figured out, but once you realize nobody actually does, you feel a lot better about your own stuff. So yeah, welcome, welcome anyone to come join us uh, with that. 
Very cool. Well, if you guys are out on a run or in the car listening and you want to make sure you get those great resources and all the amazing stuff that Justin's put together to support our amazing agency owner community, check that out at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. And we will recap all this good stuff for you uh, on those show notes and have all those links for you. Justin, thanks for stopping by the program today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Brent. That is it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming at you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agency Show. Before we close out, I wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode. Are you stressed out, cash crunched? fed up with your business? Now, if you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem. Maybe that it's the area you live in or that this market has gotten too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around. And I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who says they need a website, Facebook ads, or a mobile app when they don't even realize it's a deeper challenge is blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a strategy call where we're going to dig into those underlying issues in your business and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments that you're going to have will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your YouGurus strategy call today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start the application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of the Digital Agency Show. 